Okay, so Falco, thank you very much for, for joining the podcast. It's a really fantastic to have you here. I think we've been planning this for quite some time, right? A couple of months, actually, indeed. <laughs> um, but I would love for, for the audience to get a chance to get to know you. So maybe you could introduce yourself just in a tweet. So a few characters just to explain a little bit about, uh, about who you are and what you do, please. Sure. I think actually we met like in summer this year, half a year ago, and the idea of the podcast just sticked on my shoe like glue, but in a really positive way, right? So, well, to the audience, I'm Falco. I'm a young father, climber, entrepreneur. Uh, actually, I'm a former community manager at the knowledge innovation community called InnoEnergy, which is the biggest accelerator in clean energy tech. I'm an engineer myself by education, uh, innovator. I have a pattern in uh, wave energy production. And uh, what you definitely don't know about me is like I'm a puzzle enthusiast. I love puzzles. <laughs> That's about me in a nutshell. Great, that was good. You, you caught me off guard. It was actually really concise. Normally when I ask people to do a, do a tweet, they like, they go onto a Facebook post and they make it a full, a full thing, but that's really cool. So, um, yeah, that's really funny that you mentioned puzzles. I actually didn't know about you that you're really like obsessed or interested in puzzles, but uh, obviously your, your, your company that you created this year is called Puzzle Innovation. So now I guess, you know, I can put two and two together and, and, and understand it a bit more, but maybe you could explain the beginning, why, why puzzles? So what, what is it about puzzles that are, is so interesting and how does that link to, to what you do at, at Puzzle Innovation? I think it is in, in, in human nature that as soon as we are confronted by a conflict or by a challenge, we like automatically intend to solve it right away. And I think this, this natural feeling or motivation we have within ourselves, it's like within me, it's like a hundred times amplified. Like every time... Like I see a puzzle, I want to dive directly into it. And puzzle now, understand it not necessarily as putting the pieces together on your table, but understanding it also like beyond as a metaphor for like business challenges you're facing, mm. right? Major challenges we are facing in the world, climate change, social injustice, the pandemic we are being confronted at this very moment. These are all puzzles which we would need to solve. And innovation is for me more of the process of how you can solve it, all right? Innovation itself means creating something new, implementing something new, something which has been unknown previously, all right? And then you bring it into the context of the existing world and places, place like a piece, like a puzzle piece, you place it into the overall system and then you have the holistic picture and hopefully the solution. That is like kind of the metaphor we are playing with that puzzle innovation. That's really cool. I really, really like it. It's, um, it helps to put all the pieces in my head together to, to explain innovation a little bit better. And, and that's, that's what I see in my, that's how I feel myself in sports. You know, I, I see it as a challenge to be able to, to rise to. It's not so much of a, a puzzle, but I also practice Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and it's often been wow. compared to human chess or, you know, a human puzzle because there's arms and legs everywhere and there's all these different combinations that could possibly create uh, solutions, right? Or, um, and that's super interesting from my side, just from my, my personal side, but of course, uh, in, in the space of startups, in the space of entrepreneurship, um, that's exactly what the foundation of creating a company is all about, right? Whether it's a company or whether it's entrepreneurship in, in an organization, it's exactly. like, how do we solve problems efficiently, fast, and how do we actually deliver that to the customer or to the user? 
Yeah. Perfect. Exactly. This this is a really good point you're making, and for me, that has always been a passion within me. And um, there's also this big need of like supporting others in that endeavor of getting to that point. Um, this is why why I started like at the beginning of this year, puzzle innovation. Actually, like just a couple of days, puzzle innovation turns one. The idea of puzzle innovation turned one. Me and my co-founders, which I'm super happy to collaborate with. Um, and it has been indeed an exciting and, and very challenging journey itself for ourselves, for our company, and also the partners we have been accompanying throughout the whole year. That's really cool. So maybe you could dive into that a little more, because first of all, congratulations on <laughs> almost having your, your one year anniversary. Um, I think it's super inspiring that you've created a startup in this particular year, not not without its own challenges, of course, due to COVID. Um, but I think it's super interesting. You've got some maybe interesting pivots, shall we say, to explain a little bit later about what your company does. But um, yeah, explain a little bit why you started this. So why was Puzzle Innovation founded? Why, why was there a need from your perspective to, to deliver this new kind of perspective on innovation? It's... Um... It came together like many different parts, like I would call it the power of three, which I like you're being confronted with it everywhere, like in Buddhism and religion. It's always the power of the three. It's the Holy Ghost. It's Jesus God. It's it's always these combination of three. For me, it was the opportunity which arose is my passion behind these processes. Right. And it was indeed the need you were just referring to. Mm -hmm. So just talking a little bit shortly about the opportunity. Um, over the like up until the end of 2019, I was working in the knowledge innovation community called Inner Energy, and I was a community manager there. And my journey there started seven years ago at wow. this work. And um, throughout that time, I first was a student myself within the organization, learning a lot. Already as a student, I felt this need of like trying to connect people more creating more synergies because like different departments operated very individually from another. They had their own KPIs, they had their own process, they had their own systems. And I always felt like there was really a lack of, like, maybe a lack of collaboration between these different pillars, right? And, and I saw these synergies from the beginning. So I started with a friend, uh, this whole alumni network within an energy and it went even further and um, and it, it from student it actually became my profession to continue managing this uh, this alumni network and trying to to bring even more and more synergies together. And so at the end of the last year for me, I realized just more and more that for me it was time to kind of broaden. Right, I was always in the inner energy, always in the clean energy sector, but I wanted to explore way more. So I left the company at the end of two thousand nineteen. Um, to kind of pursue my values and my passion to make it even broader. And actually at the same time, and purely coincidentally, two of my best mates with whom I was accompanied during the whole seven years in the company also left the company at, at almost the same day. So the three of us, we sat together a couple of beers. We had this puzzle in front of us actually saying like, what are we going to do now? Like the three of us and everybody was talking individually about what they would like to do. And, and we said like, hey, why don't let's do something together, right? Let's start this journey together because the big need, and this was, I think also part of the question, the big need, which we see nowadays, is like the seven years in inner energy where I saw the different pillars, like this is not something which existed in inner energy. This existed like 
This exists everywhere throughout the world. Our whole world is fragmented. It's being in parts. This ha it's, not, it's nothing new. It has always been that way in the past as well. And major scientific revolutions or social revolutions happened because people came together and they were capable of building narratives so that others can follow and big change happened, right? So these kind of dualisms, which a lot of time exists in the different fragments like good, bad, Republican, Democrats, as we can see now with Trump and Biden in the United States, the same happens with like Europe, Britain, the same happens with climate change deniers and climate change believers, right? Back in the 15th century, that happened with flat earth versus the globe. It, it's flat earth is back, just to let you know, okay? <laughs> I heard <laughs> So you have like these different fragments and there's always friction between these different fragments mm -hmm. and, and major revolutions or advancements happen if you overcome this. If you actually start bringing people together, and it has always required facilitators, mediators, who helped you to actually see beyond your own perception, right? And this is like like putting these three people together. I really love to talk about this. Putting these three pieces together: opportunity, need, and the passion which the three of us had. Like we said, like okay, let's let's start. Let's do something. And. Um, at that stage, we had no idea what it will be. Now it is puzzle innovation. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's a really beautiful story. Falco, I'm just realizing that I think me and you had a very similar last seven, six years because I, I was also involved. We we're basically colleagues essentially last year because I was working with EIT Health and I also quit my job and left and decided to go do something different. Didn't quite yet create my own company that came a little bit later, but um, that's really interesting that you also were working in that and that you saw the same things that, you know, people talk a lot about collaboration. They talk about how beneficial it is, but you see it in big corporates, you see it in large organizations, you see it in small organizations, this silo effect, it just information just doesn't seem to get out of the little box or get out of the team yeah. and then be able to, to fully explain uh, or you know communicate things that can hopefully solve problems better. Everyone kind of has the, the blinders on and unfortunately they're not really focused on helping others, right? Uh, but your story is super inspirational. I think, um, you know, I, I like the phrase, look favors the prepared mind, right? And, and the idea that, you know, you decided to leave your job and two of your best friends also did it at the same time I think that's uh, you putting your energy out there in, in a positive way and just taking those opportunities, seeing the need and having the passion, of course, in, in your team. Um, so maybe I could maybe I could ask you a little bit about what is the what is the core thing uh, you mentioned conflict or you mentioned kind of issues mm -hmm. with communication. Would you say that that's a kind of a foundation for the problem that you're trying to solve with uh, with puzzle innovation or uh, could you maybe just dive into that a little bit? Because. I see yeah. it a lot. You know, there's there's some phrases, I can't remember them correctly, but um, there's like the yes butters and there's the, uh, I think the other phrase is the yes butters and there's um, yes and or something like that. Yeah. So basically yeah. you can yeah. either say, yeah, but, <laughs> and then it deletes everything that you said beforehand, or you can say, yeah, that's really good. How might we blah, blah, blah. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that perspective of what the problem is. And actually there's a third category of people who say oh. yes and, but they mean yes, but, right? There's also a That's lot a of- That's a very good point. Right? <laughs> very good point. Um, 
Yeah, I can, of course, I can talk a little bit more about this. But first, let me ask you a question to you, right? Which maybe then helps us to answer your questions, okay? Super. What is your process of making toast in the making morning? toast. Yeah, how do, you, how do you make your toast? It's like, if you have like 10, 15 seconds, just explain how do you make your toast? Yeah, I take the bread out. Uh, I put it in the toaster, turn the toaster on. And then afterwards, I add my Irish butter. It's basically it. More What's less. Irish butter? Oh, Kerrygold. It's like the best ah. butter in the world. I'm Irish, <laughs> so I have, to, I have to do a little bit of branding, you know, <laughs> for the tourism board. All right, well done. <laughs> that, is, that is probably one of the most common ways on how to do it. Um, if you ask other people, right, people might start going back to like, you need to plant the grain, you water it, you grow it, right? Then you harvest it. You compress it, you work it into bread, you let it flourish. And then like you, at the end, you can cut the toast, you put it in the toaster, you turn it on two, three minutes. So it's a little bit crispy, but it's not getting burned, right? You take it out, you wait because it's too hot to touch it. There's like, you can go into many, many details. There are people going even Beyonce, like the process of toast, like continues after you've actually eaten the toast, right? Where do you put yeah. the plastic from the packaging, right? Some people started like Big Bang toast, right very very straight connection yeah but it's it's like all these different kind of perspectives which people bring forward and everybody is putting a different weight on the mm. on the toast itself like what matters to you is what you have just expressed in your toast making process right you said i need irish butter that's for me <laughs> <laughs> it's true it's true for, for me the focus point is I need Irish butter on my toast. For me, as I'm living in Spain here, for me, it's it's actually like olive oil and a bit of salt and tomato, right? And that's what I put on my toast. A little more intellectual with the olive oil, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's like, exactly like it, these different, and we don't do this like on purpose or to mm. harm others, right? But it can like conflate conflict. It, it can create this conflict between us. If we now would have been put together and our life depends on making the best toast in the world, yeah. all right then then like maybe there, there's there's a problem because i'm yeah. the biggest fan of the irish butter maybe and you don't like tomato could have, or you have an allergy or whatsoever but yeah. it, it, it like it really goes beyond so what we try at puzzle innovation is like to make people see that maybe what they perceive is only one way of mm. doing the thing but it's not not necessarily the way you don't own the truth right you only yeah. see a part of the truth and bringing people as fast as possible to this realization, it is quite a challenging task itself within teams on the longer term, but also if you have like short sprints to deliver, like, yeah. how, like which level of collaborations and which system will you put into place in order to get exactly to like the collaboration level, rather this, this fake uh, adding things, but not mm -hmm. really trying to understand the common purpose which we have here in making toast. Making toast, it's a, it's a simple example, right? We have, we have more than hours to indulge in this metaphor and it's nice, but change making toast with climate change, mm. change making toast with like social well-being for all humans, right? Then suddenly it becomes really complex because you, you don't really understand it anymore. The whole complexity, which is buried just under the, the, the iceberg, like the, all the lower part, like we don't have, we don't own the absolute truth of this. 
So mm. it is even there is of major importance that we find ways of collaborating on a level that we do share the purpose. And um, there's like this, they, we are going through this pandemic at the moment, right? And it is really challenging and it had really negative and bad impacts on a lot of families and, and on the economy itself as well. But there's also a really good thing which we can see during the pandemic. If there is like, if there is an obvious purpose for humanity, we managed to align and collaborate way better than we have been doing before, right? So we know it's possible. What we need is this common narrative, something we can all relate to. The pain of the pandemic is something shared for the first time, I think, in the world, really globally, Absolutely. everywhere. And it's, it's like, it's this virus, which is just mutating and, and infecting us. So what happened is like whole industries, they changed their production in order to produce masks or yeah. like uh, antibacterial gel for your hands, right? Like all these changes happened really fast and it was possible because there was this common narrative. This is for the global level. You can say and apply this to companies. Companies, if they need to change, you need to create this narrative within the company, which people believe in. And, and that is not something which happens automatically, right? A lot of times, yeah, you might have a charismatic leader, but it takes way more. It takes way more people who are around this. Actually. That concept of, of both top-down and bottom-up in terms of change management, right? You can't just exactly. say the leader says this now and everyone has to follow. It's a lot more complicated and I suppose, um, yeah, sensitive in a way right for, for making that change in a company or an organization definitely yeah, yeah. no it, it's a fantastic example and I, I see that also with people right people have become more socially responsible i just was taking a walk yesterday with my wife and we crossed the road because there was a family on a very narrow path coming with two children and a mom and dad and they kind of gave us that little nod you know so when they saw us switching the the opposite side to keep a social distance they kind of mm. just you know a little more friendly but I think usually if it was pre-COVID times, you wouldn't have that interaction, but it's a kind of a, a, non, a non-verbal form of communication, non-verbal form of uh, respect or collaboration, right? It is an acknowledgement of the fact that you're sitting in the same boat. Yeah. You, you, you share destiny together, kind of, right? Yeah. And that, that empowers you in a way to create new behaviors. Mm. For example, the social distancing, which is a completely new behavior. Right, which we had to implement it into our culture. And this was only able and possible because there was this common narrative yeah. which we are having, right? Yeah. So really you're, you're talking about empathy in a way, right? And I think even yeah. with remote office now and stuff, it's very easy for people to get in their own box or in their own head, right? And we have mm. difficulties with developing empathy when we don't experience the person in real life, but rather mm. see them on, on a virtual space. So um yeah so so how do we develop that how do we how do we i mean everyone talks about it right you have to walk in the customer's shoes you have to walk in the perspectives yeah. in the shoes of your your colleagues and your teammates um yeah. something that comes to mind is often people that um are listening 
but they're just waiting for the opportunity to say what they want to say. So it's like, yeah. Falco, please just, I'm waiting for you to just, just to stop sorry, talking for a say, second. <laughs> I say something right now. Wait. That's great, but oh, boom, jump in. Um, and yeah, so so I, this is just a funny, funny example, of course. But yeah, how how do you do that? How do you manage conflict or how do you manage or help to resolve the, the, the to separate those silos that you mentioned to break yeah. down the barriers? What's, what's the solution that you propose as part of puzzle innovation when it comes yes. to companies? Let's, let's focus on companies because I think that's a good example to, to focus on. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So what, what we focus on is, um, is actually building integrated change through dialogue, right? So, by integrated change, we mean the combination of uh, collective change and actually the individual change it requires within you as a person, right? And dialogue, we see it as being um, a genuine generative exchange with your environment, not necessarily with just another person or more than just one person, but it can also be your inner sphere and your outer sphere, like being in dialogue is more of a kind of a mindset, being open to receive, to listen indeed properly, but also to respect, to suspend, and then later be able to voice out what is required to say at that moment. Um, so we try to kind of combine these three elements, individual change, collective change in the way of system thinking, like Peter Sanger, for example, with the fifth discipline, Mm -hmm. um, through dialogue and dialogue on the base of David Bohm or William Isaacs to name just two of the pioneers of dialogue uh, methodologies, All right? Okay, cool. So I have a question just to begin. So you walk into a, into a company, um, say it's a European organization, it's a big company, lots of moving parts, uh, 50 to 100 people. Uh, what is typically, from your experience, the most common uh, the most sorry, the most difficult part to to uh, to tackle. So, is it more the individual opening up their own individual mind and processes to for that dialogue aspect? So, not even just listening, but being able to be open to understanding their environment. Or is it more the process end of things? Is it more from the corporate aspect um, that it's very difficult to make changes there? Which which one would you say is is more challenging, or which one do you tackle first, maybe? Well, you, you need to have the decision makers on board for the change, yeah. right? I think without the decision makers, almost every change is doomed to fail. Mm -hmm. um, there are several ways to get the buy-in from the decision makers, depending from like who initiates the change or who most benefits from the change. Mm. Also, a lot of times is the initiator itself. Um, and you need to, to kind of like bring the decision makers to the point of saying, yes, I am open to change. In big corporates, usually what you see when you enter them is um, like everything what is there now, the systems which have been paid, putting in place, the processes which have been putting in place, at a certain moment of the history of that company, this made completely sense to them <laughs> to implement their parts, right? But then later throughout their journey, like again, these different little silos they were building, the interaction between them causes friction, 
right? Mm. Like very simple example, it's like you build certain KPIs for a team and another team has very contradicting KPIs to the team before, mm. right? And they kind of just like are competing to another um, rather than indeed actually favoring and supporting another. And this only because their communication systems, the process to whom they're usually talking the companies are different people. Yeah. And the top person doesn't look to that detail anymore and he has no idea what's happening there, right? So it's a, it's a very often reused example, but like what we have seen in one company specifically is they wanted to, they were really fast growing and they kind of saw that their processes were stagnating. Mm. Their, their progress was stagnating. They were not developing as fast in revenues as they would like to do anymore and in profit margin. So their idea was um, instead of the strong hierarchy which we built, which enabled us the fast growth, what we want to do now is more of a lean management mm. um, and having more autonomous teams. What they actually did, they tasked the middle management to find a solution. So, so what's the problem there? Like the middle management hears from the decision makers on top, like we want to be more lean. Do this, please. <laughs> do that, please. And where is my future in that organization, right? If we are more lean, no middle management required anymore. Yeah. But now I'm supposed to drive that change as in the middle, man middle management. Like my motivation is almost like zero. Yeah, it's a personal conflict. You're going to delete your own job potentially, right? As a one exactly. option. Yeah, yeah. And that, that is something which happens a lot of time, mm. right? People mm. don't take into account the individual into their system changes they would like to implement. Hmm. But there is, there is really good ways in order to get there, right? Yeah. And this is, this is like through dialogue. This is the important part, right? So you hmm. put the decision makers with the employees and the operators and the managers, we, you put them together in the same room, you can give clear targets of where you wanna go, but leave the conversation open to explore which path you can take there mm -hmm. and which role each person can play in order to contribute to that change mm -hmm. in order to get there. So it's, it's really a lot about vision building within individual teams and also bigger teams. It's also a lot about like the purpose which they see within themselves. And if they is aligned with the company, we see that's more and more happening within millennials, like our generation. We really want to do something purposefully. Like yeah. purpose has become so much more important over the last years, right? And that's something really good. If you're now capable to align that purpose with this historic dinosaurs companies, which we have there with a vision from yeah. 30 years ago. That's then, conflict, right? That, that's conflict right there. So like, this is something you're trying to work on. Right yeah. to, to progress and to make it further. You make this through, indeed, like through dialogue is, I think, the most effective way. And this dialogue is not only sitting down and talking, it's so much more, which mm -hmm. is uh, involved in, in like having a proper dialogue together i could imagine that I'm, I'm imagining previous meetings that i've run and when i used to work for for other companies and organizations and yeah I, I think that's probably where you come in right is to help moderate and to drive that dialogue because i think everyone can create the meeting right they can create the meeting 
management, middle management, employees, yeah. they can get those uh, 10 important people together for a workshop. But, you know, as you probably know, and as I know from doing lots of workshops, there's very good workshops and there's bad workshops. And it all comes down to allowing people to speak, to having the the, the agenda that's organized and, and a clear goal that wants to be reached by the end of uh, that particular uh, workshop. Um, Ellen, yeah. When, like, if I would ask you now, when was the last time you had really a conversation which you were intrigued by mm. and like which still occupied your brain for days after? To be honest, Falco, this is my guilty pleasure of why I do the podcast. Um, it, it's not necessarily getting that from work. It's it's really like I, I, I trick people to come onto my podcast because I want to have these engaging conversations. Like right now, I'm not looking at anything else. I do this in work sometimes. You know that we're having a, a meeting and I'm like, you know, checking something over here, checking my next meeting. I'm like, you know, watching my phone, but but the podcast, it's like, it's for me, it's like, it's therapy. It's really mindful. Mm-hmm. I can engage with you. Or I, I just interviewed someone from, from a very successful person from, from med tech companies uh, in Scandinavia. And I've been going over in my head, some of the stuff that she has been saying. And that's, that's for me, I'm very, very fortunate, but a lot of my work uh, tends to be a little bit siloed. I, I want to get stuff done because it's coming up the Christmas and I'm not so like, let's engage in a workshop and, and keep open-minded. So I've been very lucky, but professionally speaking, that, that could be sometimes challenging. I, I would even say pre-COVID when we had some cool workshops when I just joined my, my job because there were face-to-face, there was like sticky notes on the board and I love that. Yeah. So I would say professionally, it's been a while, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, and that, that, is, that is sad. I mean, you don't need to do these workshops all the time, right? There's, there's, there are good moments for have such workshops when they are really fruitful, when you need dialogue, when you, when you strategize, when you want to indeed create something new. But then there are also these pure operational parts, right? At a certain point, you just need to execute. You build your choreography, you train it, and then you perform, you do it. Yep. And um, for the performance itself, you don't necessarily need all the time to have dialogues in, in like this profound way which I'm referring to. Um, sometimes it's just enough to have a quick chat, right? Just updating yeah. another. That doesn't point, need to right? be to that depth of the level, right? But at the beginning, at the start of a new project, an endeavor, product, a service, a challenge you approach, mm-hmm. it is very important at the beginning to have all of the different perspectives of yeah. all of the people who will be somehow impacted by the project or have power over the project mm. in a certain way in decision making. At that beginning, if you manage to not only report to the people in power, but actually include them in the design of it, it's so much more less likely that later on you will face confrontations or problems with them. Right. It's really interesting. I think what you're describing is is also the, the perfect guideline for, for a startup as well. We, we see those mistakes. And I'm sure you've seen them time and time again over the last seven plus years that you've yeah. been in this space. But they make the mistake of, um, you know, focusing on the idea not discussing the problem in the beginning, not bringing the stakeholders together, talking to one customer or talking to a doctor instead of a patient and when you don't bring all those people together, you just miss things. And then you spend all this time 
and your time unfortunately is wasted because you didn't even start at the at the start line you mm-hmm. already jumped towards the end and you want to talk about venture capital and selling your tech before it's ever been validated so i see a lot of parallels and i just make that parallel because of course a lot of the audience comes from uh from the startup space so it's really nice to be able to to see that so i'm glad you you very clearly validated um uh, what, what i think as well that startup should should begin so yeah. let, let's go back a little bit because you mentioned two important elements, right? You mentioned and touched a little bit on, on dialogue, but in the beginning you talked about integrated change. So yeah. could you maybe explain a little bit more about how to bring those people together, how to build, how important community might be in that process? You mentioned co-creation as well. So what, what, is, what is a little bit more depth in terms of how to drive integrated change? And then maybe afterwards, then we could discuss what exactly you mean by, by dialogue, because mm. this is also something yeah. very interesting to me. Definitely, yes. So integrated change, like by definition, it says like it's, it's to achieve a desired final state through like organizational and individual change processes, right? So it really stresses both because in order to best explain it let's maybe think about the alternatives which you have there right so the alternative would be either or if you just go into the organizational change and there comes the top decision maker a new ceo has just been replaced in the company and he's like okay from now on we do it that way yeah and like a classic uh, like shuffle basically in terms of how teams are structured right exactly People are like, they're, they're lost. They're maybe really angry with this like rapid change which happens around them, which they might understand why it's happening, but they have never agreed to it. They have been never consulted in this change. So they are, from nature, we are a bit reluctant to change. There's so always right? that fear, right? Of exactly. the unknown. From the unknown. So it is really important that you actually take along everybody in such change processes, right? Let's think about the alternative. So everything is still the same, but you as an individual, you definitely see something which needs to be changed. You're like, okay, I change, right? I want this change. It's like, if the, if the system itself is not adapting in a way, you're just getting more and more frustrated because processes are staying the same, but you want them different, right? You yeah. want them, but nothing around you actually changes. In this you're up here and then the processes are down here, right? Yeah, exactly. So it is really important that both happens at the same time, mm-hmm. right? And, and then how do you do this? You can design new structures, processes together with everybody mm-hmm. that they agree on. And you will be surprised by like, a lot of times if you give persons the freedom to choose, they choose the harder task or the more difficult challenge, right? Because they, they want to have the success of yeah. getting there. If you give it to them, if they own it, and it's, if not, if you own it and you tell them to do this, then usually like, then you usually get this expression of like a smart horse doesn't jump higher than it needs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Of <laughs> like, course. It's the, it's the path of least resistance. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. that's that's not how, like, how we want to do things. Like a really engaging team. If you have worked once, like an approach where you really felt this team effort, mm. it's like you were always going for more. You was like, what's what's out there? What can we do? Like to improve, to get better. 
right? And um, this unfortunately is not happening that often as it could happen mm -hmm. if you start implementing this philosophy philosophy from the beginning. Yeah. And embedded it into your culture as a company. Yeah, I think um, it's almost like giving them a piece of the company, right? A piece of the cake. That's yeah. saying that like your your job is not just your job. You're part of this company, and here you go. Let's mm -hmm. let's make something together that's going to change and affect the whole company. Exactly. I think that's very empowering because people say, "Hold on, yeah. I'm not just a project manager that just does like you know reports and stuff. I can actually yeah. say something and make yeah. it make a difference." So. And it's like, don't let's not indulge into like like this hippie culture we want to create here, right? That that's not the point of the whole thing, right? You still establish. Uh, reporting processes. You still establish KPIs which need to achieve, and there will be consequences if you don't achieve them. There are hard decisions to make, but like especially these hard decisions you might need to take at that moment might not be that hard anymore because you have already agreed upon them from the start of the journey with everybody. Mm. All right, and you know, kind of content constantly need to kind of feed that culture, nurture that culture, right? Because that's like you can lose that very fast you can get lost yeah. in process and systems of you which you have been establishing in the past so you you need this reiterating process throughout again and again sometimes yeah that's a very good point because people sometimes think hey i'll just hire a puzzle innovation and it'll fix everything and yes but also you know this is a, a more long-term process right this the, the mm -hmm. same thing could happen puzzle, puzzle innovation could come in right Fahu can come in you give expert advice in terms of how to take the processes from there to, to update them to what's going to be bring value right now. But then the same thing can happen in five years time. Right. So and it's like, it's like, we, we usually recognize when there is the conflict, right. Yeah. And like, if there is, if the conflict has not occurred yet, we don't see change. The same thing happens to us as persons. Like every morning you go to the mirror, you brush your teeth, you see yourself, you're like, I'm the same person like yesterday. Nothing has changed. But all these incremental changes from day to day, if you look back five years ago, you're like, oh, who's that person? Yeah. <laughs> and it's harder to, to look back, right? Because the mirror is right here. You just exactly. you, you get caught up in what you're doing now, not what, what you were five years ago. Yeah, It's a challenge between being and also becoming, yeah. right? And also looking to the future of where we want to want to be in five years eventually as an individual, yeah. but also as a collective, as a society, as a company, as a family, as a sports club. Mm -hmm. These principles can be applied in kind of all environments. For me, the most interesting one are the businesses because I believe yeah. in the sustainability of businesses and like in the positive way they can impact the world. Yeah. So on that point then, you know, in terms of creating impact, in terms of bringing people together and providing uh, extra added value to the customers that you work with, the businesses that you work with, is there is there some guidelines that you provide in terms of how to build that community and how to keep it alive, how to foster it, how to keep the fire going so that they're not distracted in mm -hmm. two years time and end up having to, uh, you know, potentially the business fails or, or whatever the case may be, or there's miscommunication mm -hmm. again. So are there aspects of that integrated change around community that you try to foster in some way? Yes. So like, I think we have 
touched on that point already quite a lot in this podcast. It's yeah. like the, the dialogue itself, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and the dialogue, um, you, you kind of really try to foster to bring people to take ownership within it. And dialogue is something which, which we can learn, hmm. right? Um, it's like there are many theories out there which kind of support certain aspects of the dialogue and one which I for example really like is William Isaac it's not the only theory in the world it's one of many theories in the world but it gives us kind of an approach to dialogue and how we can learn and improve our capacities in building dialogue mm. and having dialogues and what he basically says is that there are like four capacities which are required in order to to have a really generative dialogue it's listening it's respecting it's voicing and it's suspending, right? So just to go there a little bit more in detail, but not too much maybe, listening is really about waiting and finding the silence within yourself and to download everything which you're receiving at the moment. But the person is telling you not only the factual words, that is one level of listening, but there is also empathetic listening, um, and, uh, and, and like emotional intelligence you bring into there. This is all really important for listening. Then even more than that, it's the respecting, right? You, you start accepting boundaries, which maybe are explicitly set, but maybe they are just hinted in a way, but you don't push or force, you rather invite for people to join at that moment. So it's um, kind of like if they didn't want to discuss something in detail, you just get a, a kind of a cue that potentially we shouldn't approach this problem in that way, but rather exactly. go in a different direction. Okay. You, you don't tell them, tell me what you know. Yeah. Right? It's like you, you try to really invite them a little bit more there. It's like the question, question which you need to ask yourself is like when you respect them, like what is really at risk here? Hmm. All right. What, what might we lose? And um, some people might feeling lost there, but it's really like trusting also a little bit the process where you're going with this, where you're talking with the other person. And the last, last two capacities is basically suspending and voicing, right? It's kind of suspending means in the way of like holding in, in, in like, if, like with your lungs, you breathe in, you suspend, you wait before you breathe out. The same thing you basically do when you have a conversation, right? You take in the information around you, but instead of like reacting impulsively, you just process all of that before you then start breathing out and talking. And that really helps if you, like I have seen beautiful conversation where you actually force people to have 10 seconds of silence between different talking points because like these- I was just seconds, thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> They give, they give them time to think about what they want to say and like what they're going to talk about is of such more higher quality because it's not something which comes from the past impulsively, right? It's not what we felt in the past or what we thought in the past. It's actually what we think and feel at mm. this very moment. But we need a little bit of time to process this, right? We don't have a super quantum computer, right, which can do everything in the instant. We need time to think about stuff. Right. I think it's also super powerful because most people don't pause. Yeah. Most people just react, right? And when, exactly. you, when you're having a conversation and someone's not talking for five seconds, people get a little uncomfortable. They're like, what's, what's wrong with them? Oh, my God. But it's very powerful. 
It's, it's beautiful. Silence can be really beautiful. There is a famous componist which actually created an art piece of four minutes, 11 seconds, maybe. Kill me on the time. I don't know it. I don't know exactly the time. But what he basically did, he had a full audience. He went on stage. He sat down on the piano. And for four minutes and 11 seconds, maybe different time again, he didn't do anything. He didn't touch a single note. Wow. Nothing. He got up and he went out. People paid like, like, like kingdoms in order to see this artist. It's a good right? business model. It's like the guy who sold the piece of art that was just a white canvas. He was a French artist for like over a million. And that is the idea behind this because it makes us think, right? It gives us a, a moment of time to really, to really reflect what matters. It's an us. experience, right? You're it not is. just yeah. passively taking in something. You have to kind mm -hmm. of, I don't know, it draws you in, in a way, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You use like, there are a lot of metaphors for this. And one, I like the last one before, <laughs> the last one that in, in music, there is like, you have the beat of, right? Uh, like, like just the drums. And um, if you delay one of the beats just for a microsecond, mm -hmm. it creates anxiety within the people because it's not happening what they expect to happen. Yep. But this anxiety itself actually transforms itself into excitement and you start to really like it if you understand then the bigger picture again, yep. right? And how it relates to the other tones in the melody. It's a very, it's a fascinating concept because you create yeah. a bit of silence, again, microseconds where you didn't expect it to be. Yeah. Beautiful. It's really interesting. You know, Falco, that was actually my PhD. My research was on making very small minor adjustments to auditory and visual stimulus <laughs> to try to see how people would react, whether they would actually, you know, decouple themselves from a rhythm when they're trying to tap to the beat of mm -hmm. a visual signal or an auditory signal. And it's amazing what people notice, like in terms of milliseconds yeah. of a difference, they can really get thrown off, you know? Yeah. Uh, which is which shows you how maybe even unconsciously we basically pick up these micro changes, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Exactly. And then the, the last capacity, which William Isaac mentions is the voicing itself, right? Mm -hmm. The voicing itself, it's key. And like, you need to get into a mindset of like, what needs to be said here for the common purpose, then rather what do I want to say? Okay. Important perspective. Yeah. And you do, do not be afraid to speak the truth, right? A lot of people are afraid to speak the truth because they open themselves and they open themselves in a way to be vulnerable because they're afraid other people might just, in a way, attack what they're saying or disagree with what they're saying. Yeah. There is no problem in disagreeing, right? Like disagreement can help us to go further, right? It's, it's a That's way of how, right? how, how we deliver the message, right? How do we go further? Maybe also what you're saying, it's not you as a person, right? It doesn't define who you are. And all these things, if you kind of can express that feeling to a team, if you can express this feeling to a company, it's like really this bottom feeling of this culture, then you're guaranteed, you're, you're like, you're ready for all kinds of changes which will, which you will confront it, especially in the startup way, because there are many changes, 
but also in big corporations like during the pandemic, like this disruptive change we're seeing right now, companies which have a really positive culture just perform better yep. because they are faster in adapting, right? Because there is this basic feeling of collaboration really strongly implemented. And that is, that is dialogue for me, if you can see this. Really powerful stuff. And I think also very difficult to implement. I know from yes. doing the podcast and from working with my colleagues, um, I've been really trying to listen more. I have a habit of obviously getting super excited by cool things that Falco says or, or a guest says, and I always want to interrupt and I want to say something, but mm. you're right. Taking that extra second or two, even if it's only a second or two or 10 seconds, like the example <laughs> you gave, I think it's very powerful. And yeah. I must say, it's really difficult to listen all the yeah. time to really like focus mm -hmm. and not be in the TikTok mindset of like, you know, 15 second, 10 second videos, next, next, next. Uh, it's horrible. Really, yeah, it's really difficult to do. Difficult to survive in this world. But that, that I think is a super essential skill, like you mentioned also for startups because they're running, right? There's chaos. Yes. They're trying to get funding. They're trying to talk to customers. They do a million things at the same time with like four people, two people, one even one person in their team. And stopping, reflecting, listening, having that openness for dialogue, mm -hmm. I think is, 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 a, is a critical skill for them to succeed. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Great. So um, I'd, I'd love to kind of close up. I have one extra question for you at the very, very end, but I'd love to, to close up with maybe discussing a little bit of, of how you bring all these things together, because you've got a, a lovely course that you're offering now, which is yes. uh, something you're just launching, I think, in January. So in a couple of weeks time. Um, or by the time the podcast is already out, it'll, it'll probably be only one or two weeks away. So mm -hmm. maybe you could talk a little bit about uh, the course that you're offering that brings all of these different elements like dialogue, like integrated change and yes. managing conflict into one nice little package. As our company was also being confronted with the pandemic, uh, we thought about how can we kind of help others in a way. Um, because we were not able to anymore go into companies physically and see how it's what's happening there, what's going on and, and help them. Um, so we created also an online course and um, it is about indeed building inter, um, integrative change through dialogue, right? And the unique part about this is that we really invite every participant to come with a use case already, with a project, right? So if you would think about your environment um, and tell me some disturbances which you uh, don't like, right? This could be your use case. This could be, for example, within the family, this could be the office, this could be also your club, this could be the community around you, um, anything basically where you wanna drive change. And with this backdrop, we enable actually inner and outer learning you always apply the skills and the capacities which we provide you with. Um, you apply them to this backdrop. And the course goes over four weeks. So what we see during this week is like from an initial idea of change, you actually see a manifestation into like how I as an individual would need to change, um, which new habits would I need to implement. Um, what is a strategy for me in order to get there where I want to be. But also we take a, a system level, a system approach into your change. For example, if your change is happening within the office, we'll look into the dynamics of your office, right? What are the processes and what are 
um, yeah, the different feedback systems you have in place within your team or within your company and how would you approach this in order to change this to a better, right? Um, so it is, it is really based on you. So for every participant, this course is unique. And throughout the whole course, we, we live this mindset of dialogue and um, we also help another. So there's a lot of peer-to-peer -peer coaching happening. There's a lot of journaling happening with yourself for reflecting and, and continue the build. But there's also a lot of training happening from our side and how you actually do these activities properly. Um, it's great. It's great for New Year. That's why we started it actually in January, right? Because there, a lot of people have things they would like to achieve in the next year, but Absolutely. unfortunately, most of them fail, including me, right? <laughs> we all have that problem. <laughs> exactly. Um, this course helps for sure. This helps you on an individual level, as I said, but it helps you also in, in your professional career to participate in this. So yeah, I invite everybody to check it out or just shoot me a message if there are more questions around this. Yeah, and maybe you could let people know what's the what's the best way to get in contact with you or the, the website as well. Maybe you could just shout it out so people know where to go. I'll put it in the description as well. But Perfect. Yeah, no, website is easy. Puzzleinnovation.org, right? As the name, .org, very easy. And I mean, you'll find my email there. I think there's even my phone number. You can call me, right? Great. Yeah. In case you get lonely over Christmas, you know, can have a conversation. Yeah, we are all a bit like physically distanced, but that doesn't mean that we are lonely, right? Of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. super, Falco. That sounds uh, really, really interesting. I think um, moving to that space of, of doing online education is very, very powerful. And the fact that your course operates in these two different levels, so whether it's a business or a startup or a company that has an idea, or whether it's an individual that has a conflict in their own home or something like that, it's mm -hmm. it's quite unique, I think, that your your system and the course that you're providing, the process that you've developed is um, is really covering both the personal and the professional. I think that's really, really great. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important because uh, when people are, you know, paying for a course or going to do a course, it's important that they can get that value that's going to be not just for their company, but also going to personally uh, grow and develop themselves. You know, it's really, really important. Exactly. Great. Exactly. So um, just to finish up, I have one little sneaky question for the very, very end. You mentioned about vision and purpose. Could yes. you explain to me a little bit from your perspective, how do you find your purpose? This is something I'm very, very fascinated with. It's a hard question, I know, <laughs> but I'm just wondering, maybe you could explain how you found your purpose or mm -hmm. is there like a, a little formula that you would recommend? Um, so you definitely do not find your purpose sitting down and uh, looking into a book, right? That, that's yep. not how it works. Um, you, you find your purpose like over time through interacting and trying to be aware and reflecting on the fact of that, what is your purpose, right? And then you, you will come up with what really matters to you. Mm -hmm. um, your purpose also changes throughout time, right? It's, it's like your, your purpose 10 years ago is not the same purpose anymore like which you have maybe today, especially if you have like life-changing moments, becoming a, a child, starting a family, right? Your purpose might shift significantly. And, um, and this is like something which, which you just need to be aware of. What helps me personally a lot is having, having a really good social environment as a backdrop. Right, I talk with a lot of friends and people about these things all the time, and that helps me to continue exploring my purpose for myself. 
Cool. So, so I think it's really, sorry, Falco, go ahead. No, that, that's what I would recommend and done. <laughs> no, it's, it's really perfect because you, you touched on, you know, number one is, is recognizing that you want to have a purpose, right? That this is something that you're, you're searching for. And number two, you went straight back to dialogue, being open to listening mm -hmm. to others, to talking about your own, what you think your purpose is, getting feedback. And uh, yeah, I think it's been, it's a nice way to finish up the podcast, comes full circle. And I think <laughs> incorporates everything that we already discussed today. So it's really great. Perfect. Cool. Yeah. Thank you very much, Ellen, for inviting. It was a, it was a great pleasure. Yeah, likewise, Falco. I really, really appreciate it. And, you know, we met so long ago that it's finally uh, really great to have done this podcast. So I'm looking forward to hearing the response from everyone. But uh, thank you again for all your time. Really, really appreciate it. Perfect.